What are the societal changes that are driving the need for a new and much appreciated benefit? And what is that benefit? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. Hey, Shift Shapers. Following on the heels of our highly successful pitching from the stage webinar series, Andy and I are really excited to announce the Major League Mindset 90-Day Live Online Mastermind. Starting January 8th, we're going to give you all of the tools you need to make 2020 the best year you've ever had. Stay tuned for more details later in the podcast. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're talking about a new way to add value to clients and perhaps a new line of business for agency revenue, both of which are not a bad thing when they go together. Uh, There's a growing benefit. It's being driven by a variety of societal changes, and it's the field of what we'll call broadly family building. And there's a lot that goes into that and a lot of components. And that's why we've invited Peter Nieves, Chief Commercial Officer at Winfertility, to join us. He's a student of all things family building. And welcome, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me, David. So in the pre-interview, I was fascinated by some of the discussions that we had around the societal changes that are, and some of the anthropological changes that are driving the need for this kind of a benefit. Can we discuss those a little bit as a level set so that folks understand what's forcing this benefit out in the marketplace? Yeah, certainly. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll throw a few statistics at you. Um, but a couple of things have been going on you know, within the country that I think a lot of people have heard of. And in particular, you know, the millennials have been waiting much later in life for a lot of different reasons to start their families. As a result of that, there has been, you know, just a significant demand for the need for what's called, you know, assisted reproductive technologies or art or essentially services better known as uh, IVF to help get them pregnant. So, you know, some of the statistics, interestingly, are, you know, woman's chance uh, for natural pregnancy at 25 years old is 25%, and that drops to 5% by the time they're 40 years old. There's, you know, studies that are showing that, you know, male factor often goes undiagnosed, but, you know, there's uh, seemingly an an, 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 for undetermined reasons drop in sperm counts of American men and, and, and morphology issues. And, and so all of that has really driven the desire of these individuals who have decided later in life to start their families to, to seek out, you know, these types of advanced medical services. So in general, how do these integrate with core medical plans or do they? So generally, the services related to IVF in particular, as well as, you know, some of the, uh, you know, less invasive uh, solutions are not automatically covered by a general medical program. So these programs are available to, you know, and benefit limits can be added to a health plan. But then additionally, they need to be, these individuals require additional support and assistance to help find the right doctors, answer a lot of their questions, uh, answer the questions of, you know, of their uh, significant other, 
and then of course, you know, help them through a very emotional time. So there's this whole industry that, that you know, has been uh, essentially, you know, developed over time. You know, some organizations have been around 20 years, some around just a few years, you know, supporting this great and growing demand for, you know, family building services. I'll add one other point, and you know, family building is kind of a, a newer term, different than just fertility uh, services, or even you know, infertility or fertility, because it's inclusive of the idea that a single limit provided by an employer would include the opportunity for the LGBTQ community, even singles, to have access to a benefit that otherwise would normally be available to only heterosexual couples. And so family building as a single limit would allow for adoption and surrogacy. So it's a it's an interesting, you know, as things are changing, you know, there's a, just a greater demand across the board for, you know, by millennials, by LGBTQ, you know, there's a surge in increase, is a surge in interest of singles having more children. So, CDC data uh, strong is showing that, in particular, IVF rates are increasing dramatically, and adoption and surrogacy is also increasing as well. And all of those processes can be almost prohibitively expensive for a lot of folks, can't they? They can. They can. If you look at a typical IVF can range, depending on the part of the country, you know, twenty-three to up to $30,000 per cycle uh, with very expensive medications included in that number. You know, the average American is, you know, is making 50 plus thousand dollars a year. And so, you know, starting a family for some is a greater burden, you know, for financially than for others. And so this benefit is really very much appreciated. And, you know, and you hear that all the time, actually going through this enrollment season with some some clients that have actually, you know, put on quite a generous benefit. The feedback is just overwhelmingly positive. People are enormously emotional because they're now able to achieve something they, they previously, you know, had given up on. So how, how are the rates structured? Is it a PEPM or is it a flat rate or some hybrid? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. So uh, to answer that, I got to kind of peel it apart a little bit. So uh, first and foremost, if there's a benefit limit provided through a health plan, then you know there there would in most cases you know it could be baked into the premium as a result of having access to additional benefit. If a company is self-funded, of course, you know there's they would be picking up the claim, and so the you know there may be a slight additional administrative charge just for managing you know a dollar limit. For the management, however, of all of it, yes, then there is a usually a third party is then brought in by the employer through their consultant. The employer would then contract with an organization like mine to essentially provide the clinical oversight and, and integrate in with the health plan to ultimately provide what is a very highly specialized clinical advocacy and clinical governance over, over the, the process resulting in significant savings for the employer, which so there is an ROI to it, uh, as well as dramatically improved outcomes, which, you know, as you can imagine, you know, leads to happier employees, bigger families, and overall, uh, greater loyalty even to the employer, which is one of their motivations for, for offering this program. So since you mentioned the ROI, how does that work? How do you talk to an employer about that portion of the offering? 
So it, it depends on their starting point. And some employers don't have that. They don't offer a benefit through their health plan. And so if they're looking to implement a program, they do need to consider, of course, you know, what it will mean to fund this for on behalf of their employees. And there's, of course, a cost associated with it. What they don't often consider, however, is, and I can share from personal experience, as I have three kids, I have four kids, three of them were through IVF. And at the time my wife and I went through it, my employer did not offer a benefit pro, uh, benefit plan. You know, there was no benefit for it. So we paid out of pocket for those cycles. Ultimately, we had a one, you know, through the process, we did have a set of twins and they were in the NICU for over a month. You know, a NICU stay like that, you know, can range depending on, you know, twins to high orders between 100000 and potentially as high as $400,000 for a company that will cover the, that NICU stay, but, you know, they're not even providing a fertility benefit. So there, there are baked in costs often that we can help an employer identify that they need to consider even when they don't have a plan. If they don't, if they don't have a plan and they're adding it, you know, that's winds up being a cost offset. Their net cost may be higher. If they have an existing program, so different scenario, they have an existing program, but it's not being managed is where the significant ROI can come in. So now they're offering a benefit. Often they're providing a limit that may create bad behaviors, meaning multiple uh, embryo transfers. You know, again, something, you know, from personal experience, we had run out of money in our 20s to have these these children. And so that set of twins we had was, uh, you know, included an embryo transfer of four embryos being transferred. We could have easily have had quadruplets. And so, you know, you want to, it's important and some of the technology available today in freezing the eggs and allowing for single embryo transfer is safer for the patient. It's better for the, for the, you know, future children and overall, you know, saves money for the employer, you know, because you're not now having a $400,000 NICU claim. And so all around, you know, what can happen by improving outcomes and, and reducing, you know, NICU stays is that small PEPM for management results in, and as we've seen, some million-dollar babies being avoided. And in some cases, we've seen, you know, we've come in, we've had clients that have had, you know, years of, you know, 100000 sometimes $1.2 million in, you know, baby claims associated with NICU, you know, multiple instances, and they've all been eliminated since the time it's become managed. So there is a significant ROI in, in those cases. And, um, and of course, there's other reasons you would offer a program, but that's the financial side. Andy and I are excited to let you know that enrollment in the Major League Mindset 90-Day Online Mastermind is now open. What is it and why are we doing it? I'll let Andy answer. Well, if you are an insurance advisor or a partner of the industry, you face a lot of noise today. You're a commodity. We all are. But to win out in today's market, you have got to stand out. But here's your problem. You don't have a clear message that's directed at your target audience. You don't have an effective marketing plan to get that message to your target audience. And you're letting your calendar control you. You're not setting effective goals. You're not planning to be productive every day and every week. If this sounds like some of the challenges you have, this mastermind's probably a fit for you because here's what we're gonna work on. Starting January 8th and running to the end of the first quarter, we're gonna help you make 2020 the best year you've ever had. We're gonna make the first 90 days the best 90 you've ever had, so the full 365 are the greatest you've ever had. It's like baseball. You wanna score a run? You gotta get the first 90 feet to first base first. 
That's what this is about because we're gonna help you craft a clear message, a more concise message for your audience. We're gonna help you create a simple but effective marketing plan to get your message out. And we're gonna help you set good goals, reverse engineer the goals all the way down to what you be, need to be doing every day. And then we're gonna work on your productivity every day and every week. As you can tell, we're pretty excited about this mastermind and how it can help you shape your 2020 into the best year ever. To schedule a quick call to learn more and see if this Major League Mindset 90-Day Mastermind is a right fit for you, click on our logo at shiftshapersonline.com or go directly to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash major 2020. You know, it's interesting because when I was running a TPA and to this day, the single largest claim that I ever approved was $1.6 million and it was for a premature baby. Wow. And when we saw claims over a million times, a million dollars, oftentimes it was child related, it was newborn related. Is there any correlation between IVF and newborn problems? Or is it actually more often the case that done in a current environment, those problems are, are mitigated? Yeah, I think there's been some studies that show there could be a connection between some of the higher, you know, the higher NICU claims associated with, with IVF. It's typically because what's happened in the past is there been a higher rate of multiples through IVF. And I think that now, again, through proper management, the rate of multiple, you know, pregnancies with multiples is dro is dropping. Certainly, we see that with our clients. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a performance measure that we look at. And, you know, all around, it's it's just safer for, you know, for the, uh, you know, for the, you know, parents to be and for, of course, you know, the children in utero to, to you know, be a single versus a multiple. So uh, I think we're overcoming that again through effective clinical management of the process. And all of these modalities are very challenging for folks who want to be parents or new parents. So the mechanics of how a program works ought to be critically important to advisors who are thinking about offering this kind of a benefit to their employers. What happens, for example, in your program, we'll use you guys as an example. What happens? Is, is there an instantly uh, clinician or a nurse assigned to the patient who follows them? I mean, what are the steps in there that would make a patient more comfortable going through the process? Yeah, so there's different models that exist in the industry, and and you know ours in particular is a, a one of clinical advocacy. So aside, you know, different than calling a customer service person and just being assigned in uh, a network doctor and having you know no additional support for that individual, our model is one of using reproductive endocrinologist trained nurses, minimum of five years in in working in a clinic, and they're assigned to the patient from the onset of their journey. They that nurse stays with the individual. We also assign a behavioral therapist to to work with the, that patient as well as their significant other. Very difficult time, as you can imagine that they're going through emotionally, and that nurse will you know help them. And we we have just example after example of the nurse uh, of them sorry the feedback from the patients just stating that they've learned so much that you know we know that they go into their doctors the doctors that we help them choose that's within network of their health plan that we help them be better prepared to ask the many questions both the you know patient as well as you know their significant other when they're in the doctors and ultimately arrive at better decisions that uh, you know lead to better outcomes 
So in all, it's you know, providing that advocacy throughout their journey is, is just very, very important. So what does the conversation with an advisor and an employer look like? Is, is it centered around patient satisfaction, kind of a user experience conversation? Is it around the ROI piece? I know you guys work with advisors. How do you counsel them to broach the subject of this? With their clients? Yes. This was a question. You know, it, 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 what's interesting is we have, as we work more closely uh, with consultants, there are some clients that bring us in, they may have a program, you know, there's 15, 16 states that have mandated coverage of some type. And so they may already, they may have a program in place or they elected to have a benefit offered through their health plan, but it's unmanaged. And they bring us in and the consultant will reveal we have to save the money. The program is not sustainable the way it is because they're spending so much money on this. Can you help? And what we can do, we'll step in and help them identify, you know, the true costs associated with the program. We can help them and the consultant understand that, you know, with management, in some cases, you know, the benefit can even increase and still reduce the cost. If they want to keep the benefit the same, then we can generally dramatically reduce the overall impact through a number of, of things, including managing the pharmaceuticals, which is, is very important. So it's a big of that twenty to thirty thousand dollars, you know, it's about 40% of the cost is just in the pharmaceuticals. So so they want that savings is is one thing. They want, of course, and many of them are maybe less inclined to have the savings or they're comfortable with the cost of their program, but they want the advocacy that they know that their population, perhaps younger overall, some industries more than others or, or been more interested in just making sure that their employees are well taken care of. And they're more family, you know, maybe a more family friendly organization is one that understands that allowing these, you know, or having these employees just kind of wander through a fertility journey without proper guidance is just, you know, not necessarily good for them. And that, and surveys will show that, you know, a lot of employees really do appreciate and uh, show additional loyalty to the employers that offer these types of programs. I noticed browsing through your website that genetic testing is something that's offered as a benefit. What's that about? And for what things are, do you typically test? Yeah. So I'm not a clinician, so I'll, I'll keep it high level. But in general, genetic testing is something that's uh, very important through the process of getting pregnant. What I do know and our clinicians here uh, share and, and they follow ASRM guidelines. ASRM is kind of the governing body and reproductive endocrinologists in the country. You know, we follow their guidelines that essentially suggest that there's certain search situations when it's appropriate to do genetic testing and other times where it's not proven to have any benefit. And so in some in some cases, you want to use genetic testing to screen for you know certain genetic disorders, and other times you're using it to essentially identify you know those embryos that are best to utilize or, or transfer, and it can help. However, in many cases, like all you know relatively new science, there is concerns that we don't necessarily know what the outcome is of taking essentially a biopsy of an embryo. And so you know it should be used with caution. It is an expensive solution, three to five thousand dollars each you know for each cycle. And you know the guidelines essentially suggest that it be done only with prior history of loss of pregnancy and at certain ages. So you know it's an employer can choose to cover it and we can administer that. Our suggestion is, however, that, you know, ASRM guidelines be 
be followed and that, you know, any one of the, the employers that select to work with us and their employees be properly educated on the pros and cons of anything that they choose to go forward with. Always good advice in any case. Uh, we've got about a minute and a half left or so. Where do you see the future of this? Do you, do you see it growing? Do you see it being a continual need, something that becomes more of a mainstream offering for employers rather than something that's maybe a little bit new? Well, I think the adoption rate by employers of these types of programs has really been demonst- is demonstrating that this is, is more mainstream. It's already here. It's interesting that in some parts of the country, you have a much higher adoption rate on the coast, northeast, you know, on the west. And certainly in the metropolitan areas, there's, there's a little bit of a higher adoption rate of these types of programs. I mentioned earlier that there's also certain industries that have been faster to adopt. But I can tell you, we have very large municipal clients. We have very, you know, banks. We have tech. You know, we have um, shipbuilders even showing interest. So this is no longer just for, you know, white collar and tech type companies. And the demand is there. Employers, employees want it. The LGBTQ community is looking for that single benefit for adoption, surrogacy, uh, fertility. And so, uh, you know, in all, I, I think demand will continue to be very high. And it's a, a great business to be in because ultimately, you know, as my wife and I were helped to build our family, you know, we're, we're getting uh, helping families and getting just great feedback from our patients. And that's a great place to end our chat for today. Peter Nevis, Chief Commercial Officer at Winfertility. Peter, thank you for sharing your expertise with our audience today. Thanks for having me, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shapers Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.